0: Okay. Hello, patrons. This is Rose, obviously. Um, I'm here with your behind the scenes podcast, bonus podcast for the polar reversal episode of the show. So this is the second. I hope you didn't hear that. My stomach just grumbled. Um, this is the second uh episode in the Earth series that we're doing. Um I just finished working on the episode for next week, which is the third one. Um, I hope you liked this one. Uh, There were no audio issues this time, thankfully. There was, however, one correction I had to make. Um, I said that negative 18 degrees Celsius was negative 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, That's not true. (laughs) Around negative 18 degrees Celsius, it's basically zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I learned that I'm not great at sort of gut-checking conversions between Celsius and Fahrenheit, and I also learned that not every Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion uh, website knows or recognizes the minus symbol, um, which is annoying and frustrating. So that was annoying. So I fixed that. It's fixed in the uh, in the current episode. Um, one of the challenges uh, with podcasting, it's kind of like TV, right? Like if you put out something that's wrong, it's really hard to fix it or it's hard to get the fix to everybody. So um you really want to try to get everything right. Obviously, you want to try to get everything right the first time, even when you're writing articles on the internet. But um, online, it's pretty easy to pop into the CMS and just like fix it. Whereas for flash forward or for a TV show or you know a radio show, once it goes out, it's hard to fix it or it's hard to at least push that fix to everybody so they can hear it. So um, I take that very seriously and I actually take fact checking for the show really seriously. And that's part of why this mistake is really bugging me because um, I actually did a lot of fact-checking for this episode, Um, actually a little bit more than I normally do even, because uh, this episode is pretty heavy on geophysics and quantum physics and stuff that I am not traditionally the best at. Um, My background is in genetics, that's what my degree is in, um, and then journalism, and so physics was never my strong suit (laughs) um, in school or um, in life. And so I actually sent a bunch of fact-checking emails to the sources in this episode, Um, often I will send emails to sources when I'm trying to kind of explain something, and I'll send them kind of a summary, um, not usually the exact script that I'm going to say, but kind of a summary of what I'm going to say, just to make sure that it's basically right. And I send it to them, and I say, hey, you know, can you take a look at this? Am I getting this right? Am I describing this correctly? Um, Because for things like, you know, radical pair mechanism that Torsten studies, this is quantum physics, and it's really hard, for me at least, to kind of explain it, in a way that is um, understandable to the average person and doesn't get too in the weeds but isn't too oversimplified that it's wrong. So I wanted to make sure that that was right. I also wanted to make sure I really understood the process for the lava and the you know terracotta and making sure that I really got like why this was happening and how it was happening. So I sent a bunch of fact-checking emails to the sources, um, and we had a, a series of back and forths each of us individually, um, and they were so kind and so generous. And um, you know, Rory sent me you know all of these diagrams <laughs> and all of this really helpful stuff, um, and Torsten actually sent me a really lovely email. He he took the thing that I sent him, he put it into a Word document and he actually went in with track changes and made notes about, you know, everything. And basically he said, you know, this is not wrong. You're, you're right the way you've described it. Um, here's a couple changes I might make. Here are a couple notes that might be helpful to you. And I do want to read one of those notes to you folks because it's very funny to me, at least personally. Um, I'm going to read it to you now. He says, final comment. You are probably fully aware of this, but one needs an anis. Anastro- anas- I can't even say the word... One needs an anisotropic internal field to set the stage for the external field effects to happen. Again, probably too much complication for this level of description. I just find it very funny that he was like, you're probably fully aware of the anisotropic internal field and required, and I did not know what that was, and I had to Google it. Another note that he, uh, he said was, um, you know, the way I describe the, um, the electrons in the episode is like, they're happier if they do this, and they're less happy if they do that. One of the notes that he made on here is, since happy state is not an exact scientific label, I think it's okay not to discuss this complication. This is after a little sort of extra bit of information he gave me, Um, which is also funny because yes, happy is not a scientific term. (laughs) That is something that scientists uh, can't really define still, even in humans and definitely not in electrons. Um, So, yes, I wanted to give you a little bit of a sense of the kinds of fact-checking that I do on the show. Um, I did a lot more for this episode just because I really, again, wanted to be sure that I was right, um, which actually makes, yeah, making the the Celsius to Fahrenheit mistake sort of eat at me even more almost because I did so much work to try to make sure that the hard stuff was correct and I didn't take the extra second to double-check the easy thing, the sort of temperature conversion. And I'm sure that there are some people who listen – who hear that and recognize that it's wrong and think, well, you know, if she can't get something that simple, right? Then like, maybe all of this is is wrong. Um, And I've actually thought that when I've been listening to stuff or reading stuff where they've gotten simple things wrong. And I have had that thought where I'm like, well, if they don't know this, then like, is any of this right? Um, And it's tough, right? Because I make the show by myself. I try to do a lot of fact-checking. I try to check everything before it goes up, but I do make mistakes because um, I'm a human being. And I hope that listeners um, are generous and kind of understand that I'm trying my best and that, in fact, most of this is really real and really I did think about it and it is correct. Um, and I just sort of slipped up on something simple. But um, I wouldn't necessarily blame people for having that thought, for saying thinking, you know, is, is any of this correct if she can't even convert some basic numbers? Um, so I was really stressed about that yesterday when the episode came out. Um, and that's been something I've been thinking about a lot. And, um, I will definitely check all of my temperature conversions in the future. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give you a sense for what that process is like. Um, The other thing I want to talk about, one of the other things I want to talk about on this little behind the scenes episode is um, you've now heard two of the episodes of this season. So you now kind of have a sense for what the recurring theme for those little introductory sketches is. Um, They're all going to be scenes from that fake television show, The Snow Globe, which is pretty obviously based on Shark Tank. Um, I will admit that I did not watch Shark Tank very much before this. I think maybe I had seen, you know, like one or two episodes. Um, but for writing these intros, I, I watched a lot of Shark Tank just for research. And I will admit that I, I really hate the show. It makes me so nervous. Um, I don't actually like reality shows. I don't like even reality competition shows where somebody might lose or somebody might get upset. Um, the sort of pressure of like, what's going to happen? Like, is this person's life going to be ruined is very distressing to me. Um, and then on top of that, obviously there are elements of shark tank that I find, um, sort of morally uh, distressing in the like way that investors can make and break people's lives and the way that capitalism works and all of that good stuff. Um, But I know people love the show. Um, Another fun fact is that at the top of every um, episode of the Snow Globe, there's that little kind of show intro where um, the sharks say little quotes. And they're different every time. They're different every episode. Um, and about half of those are actual quotes from the actual sharks on Shark Tank, like Mark Cuban or Lori Greiner or, you know, any of those people. So that's kind of fun. They're, they're real quotes. I didn't make some of them up. Um I got to work with really cool actors for those um, intro scenes, and that's been really fun. So normally, as you all know, um, the intro voices are voiced by listeners, they're voiced by friends of mine, and that's really, really fun. This um, little mini-season, I wanted to try something new where I actually kind of hired voice actors. It was really fun working with actors. I I had a really good time. I learned a lot about scripting and about... Recording and working with you know an actor in person. Normally, when I have people record stuff, I just kind of send them the audio and, or send them the script, and they send me audio back. Um, and so being in the room and kind of directing actors um, and sort of reading lines back and forth was really fun and something I had never done before. So um, I'm I'm excited. And I hope that you like these little intro scenes. They're really fun for me to make, um, and I hope that they're I hope that they're fun for you. I did hear from somebody on Twitter that said that this intro scenes are really depressing to them. Them. Like they are funny, but they're also really depressing, which is kind of what I'm going for. So that's good. The other funny thing someone asked on Twitter, which I don't have a good answer to, and I'm curious what you all think about, is um, sort of what the flash forward canon is for the timeline on this. So as you know, most of the episodes, I sort of say something like, today we're going to the year blank, you know, 2045, 2019, 2089. Um and I'm doing that on this season, but then we go to this show with these investors, and all the investors are the same, and the show is the same. So, the question that um, Charles Wallace asked on Twitter, which I don't actually know if that's his real name, that is a name of a character in Wrinkle in Time. It's probably his real name. I just, I, anytime I encounter like a scientist named Charles Wallace, I'm always like, what? <laughs> Did your parents name you after that character? Probably not. Anyway, Charles Wallace asks Are all these episodes discrete realities, or are they all happening sequentially? it's an interesting question because it's either the show, the snow globe is just this really long running show where it's running for like hundreds of years. Um, or these are all happening at the same time. And I actually don't have an answer to that question. I don't have an opinion about what flash forward canon should be in this case. Um, And so I'm curious what you folks think and how you would answer, um, because, yeah, I I actually was kind of hoping that like no one would ask this question (laughs) because I don't have a good answer to it. Um, I think that maybe that this is the snow globe is a time traveling um, show where they actually like go around different time periods and invest in things and then maybe reap the rewards hundreds of years in the future via time machine. That's a whole other episode, I think, but maybe that's the answer. I'm not really sure. Um, The last thing I want to talk about is a more kind of like philosophical thing about the episode. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting about thinking about the earth in this way, and this kind of goes for more than just this episode, but particularly this episode about the poles reversing, is that um, I think often I and many people think of the earth kind of as a solid thing. Um, We think of it as this like immutable force, this kind of motionless, almost like diagram in a book. And anytime we see the earth sort of from afar, it is, you know, motionless. It is a picture um, or a diagram, right, in a textbook where it's got a cutout and you see all the different layers of the earth and you see sort of what it's made of. And it feels like this solid static just like object that never changes. But it's not, right? It's moving all the time. It's a highly active body. Um, It's not just hurtling through space in the sense that it is rotating and then revolving around the sun, but also inside the earth, inside that inner and outer core, there's all of this stuff happening. There's all this movement happening. Um, and there's these incredibly powerful forces that are, you know, constantly shifting in the earth. Obviously to, you know, put a picture in a textbook, you have to capture a moment. You have to take a snapshot. Um, but it's kind of like catching, I guess like a hummingbird mid-flight, right? Like it's not, Like, that picture of that hummingbird frozen in time is pretty much never what that hummingbird looks like and doesn't really capture what a hummingbird is, right? If you were to only ever see pictures of a hummingbird and never a video of a hummingbird, you wouldn't really know what a hummingbird was, right? Like, you would think it was this, like, cute bird, right? You might know the color of it. You might know, you know, how it has that long beak. You you kind of could describe it. But what a hummingbird is is, like, this thing in motion, right? A hummingbird is beating wings, right? A hummingbird is movement. Um, it's this little vibrating animal, right? Um, and so if you only ever saw photographs of a hummingbird, I don't think you would really know like what a hummingbird truly is. And I think it's the same with the earth, right? We, see just, we just really see pictures of it. And it's almost impossible for us to see the earth moving in the way that it does, whether that's you know, through space or whether that's the movement of the earth's crust or the, um, the inner and outer core, any of that, or even the magnetic field, right, which is invisible to us. We don't see it moving. Almost because it's the opposite of the hummingbird. It's so slow in many ways. Um, The way that the plates move, you know, the like tectonic plates are not moving at the speed of a hummingbird. Um, And so when we see these pictures of the earth, we see it as this immutable solid mass. Um, And that's not what it is, right? It's this like dynamic, incredibly interesting and volatile and... um, in, in motion object. Um, I told you this is going to get thinky. This is like the high ideas version of Flash Forward. But I think about this kind of stuff all the time because I do think a lot about how we think about the Earth. And when we think about the Earth as this like solid, forever, unchanging object that is just sort of static in a book, it's hard to imagine it changing. It's hard to imagine a future in which the Earth is different, fundamentally different from what it is now. And I think that gets back to some of the challenges with climate change, right? We are, we don't, we have a hard time thinking about the earth as anything other than this like stayed solid mass that is always going to be there and always going to look kind of the same as it always has in textbooks. And that's part of why I really like what um, Alana Mitchell said about what William Gilbert wrote in that 1600 early treatise on magnetism where he calls the earth's magnetic field, the earth's magnetic soul, right? It kind of gets at this idea that this is a a thing in motion, that this is an alive thing. And I think obviously there are cultures and communities that already think this way about the earth, that already think about the earth as kind of a being and a creature and a a thing to kind of interact with that changes and moves and responds. Um, But I think a lot of places, particularly in the Western world, don't have that perspective. And in some ways, maybe that's um, something we could be better at. So um, that's just the thing I was thinking about a lot. Um, and that is pretty much everything I was going to say in this bonus episode. Um, I will also say that I, I am not generally, maybe you can tell not as comfortable just talking into a microphone. Um, normally flash forward is very scripted, right? You hear me read a script that I have written every so often I ad lib, but these bonus episodes, um, have been kind of fun, but also somewhat terrifying. So I hope that I'll get better at them. I hope you'll hear me uh, stumble a little less in the future. I'm trying not to write them. I'm, my impulse is just to be like, oh, I'm not good at this. I should write out what I'm going to say. And I'm trying to really resist that because I think this is a skill that I could serve to learn is <laughs> to be able to be a little bit more spontaneous and impromptu um, and not so much of a control freak all the time. Um, so I do make bullet point notes to myself for what to say, but I'm trying to keep this as unscripted as possible. Um, so if you have thoughts or notes or things you want me to talk about um, on these bonus episodes, um, I have no idea if anybody listens to these, I will say, because Patreon doesn't actually give me any data about podcast downloads, about this bonus podcast, is bonus audio. Like, I have no clue if any of you are listening. So if you are listening and you have thoughts and want to say something, feel free to send me an email or comment on the post on Patreon or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, yeah, and if you want me to talk about something... Or if you have questions about how Flash Forward comes together, what I'm up to, like what, anything you want to know, I'm happy to answer questions. Um, And I will talk to you all again next week in the next episode and the next bonus episode. Bye.